1: Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03. and made it to Friday afternoon, September 8th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. Taylor Swift wants you to watch her new concert film in theaters instead of at home. We'll discuss why in our next segment. But right now, Illinois is celebrating an economic victory in the electric vehicle battery sector. Joining us now on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home is Greg Hines, columnist for Crane Chicago Business. Greg, thank you for joining us today. And Goshen, it's a Chinese EV battery maker. And before too long, it'll be setting up shop in Mantino.
3: In exchange for some uh, subsidies, a lot of subsidies, actually more than half a billion dollars. But that seems to be kind of standard in that business these days. And Goshen is going to uh, put together a, open a uh, battery plant, assembly plant uh, that will take parts to make the elsewhere. Put them together. Uh, and they're going to spend two billion dollars to do it. Uh, they're going to have 2,600 people there. <clears throat> and the significance is that is, is this kind of this is what the Illinois electric vehicle industry has really needed. Uh, we have a couple of producers uh, of vehicles here now, um, uh, notably Rivian uh, downstate and the Lion uh, in the Chicago area. But, but for this industry to really grow uh, and prosper, it needs the component makers too. Well. L.Y. has finally, after a two-year hunt, landed one. And uh, the state is suggesting that there's a couple other ones that uh, are getting close.
1: And it sounds like this is a a victory not only for for Governor Pritzker and for the uh, Illinois manufacturing community, but uh, notch a win for the deal completion fund, or is it?
3: Yeah, it is. What what you're referencing is... uh, is the state uh, has passed two big sets of, uh, of authorizations of, of, of subsidies uh, in the recent years. Well, the last one included something that's common in other states like Indiana uh, and Michigan, but we didn't have. And that's essentially a mad money fund that says, hey, if uh, the payroll tax credits and uh, the uh, breaks on uh, sales tax for purchasing equipment so far aren't enough, here's this extra pot of money we can dip in to help you uh, to bring you here. Um, some people won't like it, but. Uh, Uh, Man, uh, this is the first time, Rob, in forever that uh, this state seems to be emerging uh, and getting a hold in a a growth industry. Uh, We've all watched in recent decades while uh, cell phones went away and uh, computer chips went elsewhere and all kinds of things that were developed here, but we didn't have the infrastructure to push them. Well, this is one where we finally seem to be doing the right things and some of the jobs and the profits and the money is going to come here.
1: We're talking to Greg Hines, columnist, Crane Chicago Business, and the state seems to have some pretty uh, big ambitions when it comes to turning Illinois into an EV and EV component manufacturing center. Uh, The state's already asking uh, Stellantis, the former Chrysler, to uh, convert the Belvedere plant to EV production. There's some talk with Ford about uh, building EVs at the Torrance Avenue plant. So as far as the state of Illinois is concerned, when it comes to EVs, the party is just getting started.
3: Uh, The state certainly hopes that. Um, Salatis would be a big win, but the one I'm really keeping an eye on is Ford. Uh, That's located on the south side of Chicago. It's the biggest employer in that part of the world. Uh, Those are middle-class jobs, well-paying jobs in an area that desperately needs them. But the problem is that factory is old. It makes uh, uh, gasoline-powered cars. Uh, If it doesn't convert to electric production, Little by little, it's going to disappear, and those jobs are going to disappear. That's that's really the big game here, and it's a little too early to say how that's going to go, but certainly today's announcement doesn't hurt any.
1: Greg Hines, columnist, Crane Chicago Business, thank you for joining us today. Coming up, Taylor Swift chooses the big screen over the stream lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The concert film from Taylor Swift's wildly successful Eras Tour will be released October 13th and only in theaters. Let's discuss that strategy with Paul Daguerabedian, Senior Media Analyst for the box office tracking company Comscore, based in Los Angeles. Paul, thanks for joining us today. This isn't Taylor Swift's first foray into the movies. She has released five concert films, tours films and documentaries on various streaming services this one is in the movie theater what makes the eras tour film different from her previous efforts
4: yeah it's a great question this is amazing i think for theaters this news of this taylor swift eras tour movie was music to their ears literally mm-hmm. Because the movie and the movie theater experience there's nothing like it Taylor Swift knows better than anyone how important that communal experience is. Being with a crowd of people at a concert is very different than listening to music at home or watching a music documentary at home. Just this big screen experience is so important to this film. It's great for theaters, and I think we're going to see blockbuster-level grosses For this era's tour we have in the past we've seen like the Justin Bieber movie, the Michael Jackson movie, One Direction, Madonna's Truth or Dare to go back a ways and uh, you know it's been a mainstay of cinema to have concert films but this is going to be like no other it's Taylor Swift.
1: And is this simply a function of the fact that uh, the the tickets for the Eras Tour were going for just eye popping figures on the secondary market? That people were camped outside of Soldier Field to listen to the concert because they couldn't get in, and it just seemed like a no brainer to put this in the movie theater because they just know so many people managed to that they were literally shut out of the out of the uh, out of the concerts themselves that it was that big of an audience. It made sense to put it in the theater
4: yeah and that's a big part of it is that people who either couldn't afford or couldn't get to go to one of these concerts that were sold out around the world uh this is a way for people to be able to see the eras tour uh, from the comfort of a movie theater on the big screen for a much much lower price and if you think about it if you look back at the whole barbie phenomenon barbenheimer the way you create a cultural event is to go in the movie theater and this is unique too because She's going to be out on concert tour while this movie is in theater. So simultaneously, Taylor Swift will be owning these two spaces, the concert arena and both the movie theaters. So it's really great for the fans, great for theaters, and shows the uh, impact that a movie theater release can have. And maybe it brings back the concert film in a big way. We'll have to wait and see.
1: We're talking to Paul DeGarabedian of Comscore on the subject of uh, Taylor Swift flexing her economic muscles. It's one thing to release a movie on streaming and then say it's number one because it streamed X number of minutes. It's another thing to say the movie was released at the movie theater and it earned $120 million at the box office. It, it that's that it, It's an old old-fashioned way of measuring things, but its it seems to me to be far more impactful.
4: It is much more impactful and it's very transparent. I mean, when we at Comscore, when we're looking at these numbers, we're getting them in real time. We get them on Sunday morning, the estimates for the full weekend. And it is a lot more impactful to say, you know, this movie, like the Equalizer, how well it opened last weekend in theaters. The ecosystem of the movie theater is much smaller, if you will, than that of streaming, which is infinitely huge has so much bandwidth, and so all that content, while it's great, I love streaming, do not get me wrong on that, I love it, but it's very different when you have that unlimited bandwidth of streaming versus the movie theater experience, which we can define and track in real time, so it's much more impactful. Imagine if Barbie and Oppenheimer had been released on different dates, on streaming only, We would have not had the Barbenheimer phenomenon that was born out of that movie theater release and those two films being on the same date. So movie theater continues to to show its power. Uh, And like you said, it's kind of an old fashioned thing to go to a movie theater, but it's still here and we love it.
1: Paul DeGarabedian, Senior Media Analyst for the box office tracking company Comscore, based in Los Angeles. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next, first-time homebuyers may not need as large of a down payment as they think.
5: Cash, credit,
2: debit,
1: and totally free the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Most first-time home buyers assume they'll need a 20% down payment, but that may not be the case. Let's learn more from Rick Sharga, founder and CEO of the C.J. Patrick Company in Orange County, California. Rick, thanks for joining us today. How does that advice square with all of these stories we've been hearing from people who are in the housing market who say that if I don't show up to a showing uh, with a, a bag of cash with a dollar sign on it I'm not going to get that house because the housing market is that tight
2: well the housing market is that tight and you do need to have your financing in order really before you start looking for a property because most properties on the market are getting multiple bids right now but the good news particularly for first-time buyers is you don't need that 20% down that is sort of that legacy Uh, idea that that it simply won't die for some reason. Uh, The fact of the matter is that most people don't put 20% down on a house, uh, and there are a lot of programs out there that will let you buy a property with a much, much lower down payment.
1: And then how do you navigate this process as a first-time home buyer? Because it just seems like the housing market is locked up tight right now. It's a combination of a lack of inventory and a lack of buyers that want to get rid of, uh, and and just buyers who are so satisfied with that 2% mortgage that they're able to uh, to refinance during the pandemic. They don't want to leave. They don't want to go out into a 7 or 8% mortgage rate environment. So with all of these different factors, if you're navigating into the into the into the market as a first-time home buyer, what do you do?
2: Well, it, it helps to be working with a real estate professional because those folks uh, have have really early notification of when properties are coming to market, uh, and, and can often get you a kind of a, an advantage over over other people who are are looking at the same time. You really ought to be talking to a lender in advance, whether that's a, a bank or a, a mortgage company or a mortgage broker, to find out what you can really afford and 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 what you qualify for in the in the, the way of a loan. And you really have to have everything uh, along those lines ready before you go out. But again, getting back to the the point of the down payment, there are government programs uh, from from the the FHA, for example, uh, where you can buy a house with as little as a three and a half percent down payment. Uh, there are programs through the Veterans Administration if you qualify for a loan through through the VA, where you can get a property with a zero percent down payment, uh, and and similarly through the USDA. But but even Fannie and Freddie May, uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loans uh, can can be had with as little as a three percent down payment. But it really really helps to be talking to a mortgage professional uh, or a real estate professional before you even start to look.
1: Rick Sharga, founder and CEO of the C.J. Patrick Company in Orange County, California. Thank you for the advice today. Still ahead in Entrepreneur Friday, using creativity and innovation to build a business in the competitive food and beverage space.
6: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Mayor Johnson says he's working with the city council on a new plan to house migrants. More high profile names surface in a report from the grand jury investigating alleged election interference in Georgia. It's Entrepreneur Friday. We meet a Chicago area native finding success in the hospitality industry. And the marijuana industry is getting closer to gaining access to banks. WBBM Business, the markets are higher. The Dow is up 88 points. The NASDAQ is up 44. The S&P 500 up 11. We have 65 degrees right now under cloudy skies going up to 70 with peaks of sunshine this afternoon. It's 1231. And topping our news at the half hour, Chicago's mayor says he's working with the city council as he crafts a plan to use winterized tents to house migrants. The details from WBBM political editor Craig Delamore.
7: Here on the far south side, Mayor Johnson said the plan to create tent cities for asylum seekers is being considered through necessity. Migrants continue to be sent to Chicago by the busloads from Texas and elsewhere.
2: As I've continued to work through a plan and collaborate with um, our alder people, as well as um, organizers and those who are very much concerned about this dynamic, we've identified multiple locations around the city that can be suitable um, to to treat the families and individuals um, who, by law, um, are seeking asylum constitutionally, legally, um, to have a place that... Um,
7: recognizes their dignity. The mayor was here to help celebrate major federal funding for the southward expansion of the CTA's red line. Near 111th Street, Craig Delamore, News Radio 1059 WBBN. A report
1: from a Georgia grand jury reveals the panel recommended charges against 39 people. Former President Trump is among the 19 actually indicted for alleged election interference. The Fulton County District Attorney did not pursue charges against others, including South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham and former Georgia Senators. David Perdue, and Kelly Leffler. It's 1232 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are a little bit higher this afternoon. And joining us now on the Village of Bedford Park Business Line, reminding you to bring your business home is Jim Awad, Senior Managing Director of Clearstead Advisors based in New York. Jim, thank you for joining us today. And this seems like a week of readjustment for the financial markets, especially uh, they're they're starting to grasp the idea or living with the idea that uh, the interest rate cut they've been betting on is not coming anytime soon.
5: Yes, absolutely. The the uh, the markets this week were um, uh, anticipating perhaps another rate increase in November and rates staying at that level through uh next year, uh at least through most of next year if not all of next year. And that's a result of inflation that's very sticky uh combined with very aggressive statements by several Uh, Federal Reserve Board members saying they just might not be done. They're going to pause in September, but there's more work to do. So it depends on what happens with the course of inflation over coming months. And next week we get a CPI and a PPI. Uh, consumer price index and producer price index, uh, both of which will be the next clues as to inflation and the future course of interest rates.
1: Thanks to base effects when it comes to uh, future CPI and PPI reports, um, are you really going to learn a whole lot by uh, comparing, uh, doing a year-over-year comparison, or at this point in time, is the story month-over-month?
5: You know, you've got to look at both. We're, we're at a very interesting uh, point where some are saying the economy is about to slow down, and some are saying that it's reaccelerating. If it's reaccelerating, well, then it's likely that inflation might start to uptick uh, uh, again. And if it's, uh, in fact, going to start to slow down, uh, then the gradual decline in inflation will continue. So I think you look at every piece of data that you, ca- that you can, year over year and month over month, and try to put, th- put the puzzle together.
1: And then as you, you, you put together the building blocks of the stickiness of inflation, it seems like uh, what they used to say about losing weight, the first 20 pounds is the easiest. And uh, we've done that already, and now you have to get down to brass tacks. And, and what's really kind of driving the, the stickiness of inflation? Is it the housing market? Is it the employment market? Is there one particular cause?
5: Spending on services that uh, uh, consumers, the, the American, had been cooped up due to COVID for a long period of time, and now they're out and about and, and, and spending on experiences, uh, and that's driving up um, uh, costs on the service side. In addition, labor uh, has regained the initiative, and you're seeing some substantial labor contracts uh, in the airlines, Uh, You have the auto uh, 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 talks um, uh, in progress, and you could start to see, even though you've started to see some wage moderation in the backward-looking data, you could start to see an acceleration in wage inflation if the unions continue to um, uh, win major contract uh, uh, increases in base pay.
1: Jim Awad, Senior Managing Director of Clearstead Advisors based in New York. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Entrepreneur Friday, a Chicago business whose partners work like a machine. Cashing in with conversation, the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Entrepreneur Friday, and this afternoon we're exploring a Chicago business that's succeeding in the uber-competitive restaurant space. We welcome in Brian Galati, owner and partner of the Machine Hospitality Group based in Chicago. Brian. Ryan, thank you for joining us today. And you, the Machine You're Hospitality Group uh, traces its uh, origins to 2012. But uh, you and your partner uh, had some experience in owning and operating uh, restaurants, bars, and lounges in the Chicago area before that.
0: Uh, that's correct. We both had a had a, a career prior to getting together and forming Machine Hospitality Group.
1: And, and what did you learn, you know, just starting out and before you formed Machine Hospitality Group, uh, what were some of the things you learned about the restaurant business or the bar business that, uh, that surprised you with how challenging it is, but also at the same time uh, might have surprised you with uh, just how quickly it came to you?
0: I mean, for, for me, it was more uh, of creating an experience. I mean, even my early career, I started to recognize just how happy we could make people in hospitality. And I really fell in love with the idea of being a part of someone's celebration, someone's anniversary, uh, you know, someone's having a bad day. I, I, took a, I took a lot of pride in the idea that we were a part of that process. And for me, that kind of hooked me early on. Plus the social side. You just get to meet people and be happy and talk to everybody. It wasn't until later when I realized the stress and the frustration came on. But I think the impetus early on was just the idea that we can really make someone's day and, and be a part of their, their lives
1: and Brian you studied marketing at Columbia College of Chicago now first off, do, do the the does the faculty and administration of Columbia uh, know you graduated and, and did not go into broadcasting is that allowed
0: <laughs> yes yeah but to be honest with you i was quite old when i graduated so, <laughs> okay. so and I, and, my, and my my career was already in in solid ground so uh, they didn't have a chance to hook me in the broadcast world
1: <laughs> but what uh, like what did you you know what 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 did you pick up though th- uh, through your education at columbia that you applied uh, to your business venture since then
0: you know, that's, that's an interesting question. For me, and again, I didn't graduate until I was 28, so I was currently active in uh, being a GM at the time. And for me, I had the unique experience of not only paying for my own college, but listening to a professor and being able to actually practice that inside, at that point, a multimillion-dollar business. And, you know, and going to college as a kid, you're kind of like, all right, I kind of understand, and I, I don't really know how to put it in practice. But for me, I was literally writing notes, being able to take it over to my team and, and actually being able to apply it. So I actually saw the real world value, uh, which is one of the benefits of, of graduating later college later in life. But I actually got to practice everything. And I also got to go back to you know professors and say, hey, you know, you said this was going to work. And it's been in practice for a couple of months and I don't see any value. And so it was good and bad. But uh, but for the most part, it was really interesting for me to to understand especially concepts like reach versus frequency and how to advertise who, what eyeballs are catching it. It was uh it was more of a, Hey, I, I really see the value. And, and for me, that kind of just, that kind of parallel kind of formed uh, I think the, my marketing outlook on, on the hospitality as a whole.
1: We're talking to Brian. <laughs> We're talking to Brian Galati, owner and partner of Machine Hospitality Group in Chicago. Some of your places include the uh, Headquarters Beercade, which was the marriage of craft food, uh, craft beer and uh, vintage arcade games. Uh, Machine, Engineered Dining and Drink, and then Dearly Beloved, which is coming out this year. Uh, when when uh, Headquarters Beercade opened uh, back in 2012, we did a story on it, and my thought was this is a home run. I mean, this is just <laughs> – this is a thing that hits – um, a particular demographic and just kind of hits both of their interests at the same time. So how much studying goes into a restaurant concept that makes sure that uh, it does appeal to a lot of people and their common experiences and, on t- and, and and you're also staying on top of what's current or maybe even ahead of the curve a little bit?
0: Uh, so it, headquarters uh, was, a, was a combination of a few things that really kind of appealed to us. One, um, our kind of strategy has always been to deliver the unexpected. Be innovative, but be familiar. And I think headquarters hit that for us. It was a way where everybody, I mean, there's thousands of restaurants, and they're offering great food and beverage, but what's that little hook? What's that extra that makes someone talk about you or gives you an activity inside of your venue? And for us, headquarters was it. I mean, to, to have something that appeals to your, your childhood and that, that nostalgic ground and that nostalgic roots uh, that you had as a kid and bring you back to that time where you're playing Mortal Kombat at the laundromat. And, you know, we got really excited. There was one or two competitors nationwide. But for us, it's how do we deliver a different experience their, than they're going after? So that was, you know, the craft cocktail component and the craft beer component, farm to table kitchen, and then taking an aesthetic that was a little bit more upscale than our competitors were doing at the time. So we kind of created our own niche. And once we we saw how it worked, it was it was all uphill from there, from our, you know, our Lakeview locations, the River North and out to Nashville. We sort of just kept uh, enhancing, uh, listening to our guests, listening to the feedback of our staff, uh, and just kind of turning that notch one level every single year just to get better and understand our demo a little bit more. But, you know, there's, there's something to be said about watching, you know, guests walk around headquarters with a good beer, good cocktail, and just smiling the night away while, while, while beating each other in the NBA jams. So it's, uh, it's definitely a concept that appeals to both my partners I, from our childhood till now.
1: Brian Galati, owner and partner of the Machine Hospitality Group in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. There are discussions in Washington that could lead to the cannabis industry being allowed to legally use banks. Let's discuss this potential development with Michael Palumbo, the founder of MJP Capital and author of the book Calculated Risk based in Chicago. Michael Thanks for joining us today. The cannabis sector, especially in the last five years or so, has seen incredible growth, and that is with one arm tied behind its back.
7: Yeah, good afternoon, Rob, and thanks for having me on. So the the companies themselves are are overall very well run and and, and tight ships. Uh, The issue is that um, they're not getting a whole lot of help from Congress with um, cannabis reform that has been promised three years ago by the democrats so the stocks have actually even even though the, the 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 companies i said are are overall very well run the stocks have been getting killed because the bet really has become what's going to happen in washington and as the days tick by and nothing happens people get more and more skeptical so we've seen cannabis stocks go down uh at one point this year they're down over fifty percent for the year and they've been down 80 percent from their highs a couple years ago. So they've gotten killed. And then recently, we've had some news that maybe things are changing in Washington. Again, we had some news today. So um, we'll see what happens.
1: The Biden administration and Congress uh, inching ever so slowly towards uh, rescheduling uh, marijuana, which would then make it a little easier or actually open the door for banks to actually start lending to cannabis companies and for customers of cannabis businesses to uh, actually use a credit card uh, when they go to a dispensary as opposed to paying with cash. So uh, if you put those two things into play, how does the industry change?
7: Right. So there's two things happening here. First of all, the Department of Health and Human Services has come out and and recommended a rescheduling of of cannabis down to Schedule 3 from 1. Right now, they're on Schedule 1, which is the same schedule as heroin and meth. So it's pretty ridiculous. They, they recommend going to Schedule 3, which would, would be a um, – it's with more moderate drugs that are not uh, causing serious physical dependence. So that's one thing. That that would cause the, the taxation of the industry to get much better. Uh, there's a 280E tax – tax law that that without going into the details, it it is onerous. It it causes these companies to almost not be able to make a profit. Then the second thing is safe banking. Now that's what happened today. Uh, Senator uh, Brown had come out and said that they are going to hear it again and it possibly could pass the Senate and then it would go to the House. If that happens, then banks will be able to deal with these companies and you'll be able to use credit cards. So there's two separate issues. They both might happen. Um, I think it's more a matter of when than if. But things are looking much better for the cannabis industry just over the last two weeks.
1: Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital and author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today. If you missed any part of today's show, you can go to our stream and just skip back to the time you want. There's a pause and rewind function that works both online and with the Odyssey app. (sighs)
6: Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com?